Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Before we uh, get into the text, congratulations to Mike and Laura, married yesterday. And they're wearing the same thing. Aww. Right? And thanks to all those who have served in military. We had Veterans Day. And so thanks for your service. We are in our final two sermons in Galatians, God willing. This book has been very, very helpful to me in uh, getting real clear the great freedom we have in Christ. We sang it when we sang in Christ alone, no guilt in life. Now, it doesn't mean you won't experience guilt or that it means you're faithless. It just means that when you approach God in your mind, because of Christ, it's as if you've always done everything right. And that's the freedom we have in Christ. And that's been so helpful to me. Uh this section that we're in, verses 6 to 10 of chapter 6, are somewhat of a summary to the entirety of the letter, but particularly to this last final third section. If you remember, Galatians is written very uh, logically. You could make a pretty neat outline of the book, and there would be three main headings, three main points in it. The first one dealt with that the gospel is from God. It doesn't come from man. It's worth defending. The second one is that the gospel is this great freedom we have in Christ that isn't at all by your doing, by your goodness. It's just Christ. It's just faith in Christ. And the third section is then, how do we live well in that freedom? And so this is going to summarize it specifically by two relationships. Uh, our relationship pastor and member, and then your relationships among each other and how to live out of that freedom. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Let me read verses 6 to 10 of chapter 6. Let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's ask God's help. Father, your word is like light uh, to our feet in a dark place, and so give us faith to receive it. God, even when we're severely afflicted, your word is life. And so, again, God, we ask for faith to see that that is true. Your testimonies are our eternal inheritance. They are the joy of our hearts. And so now incline our hearts to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. And amen. When someone comes to the 
end of their life or at least to some kind of an illness that clarifies life, you have the ability to see what really matters and what doesn't. Uh, and what you are often left with is what matters more than anything are relationships, people. Right? Everybody has regrets at the end of their lives and almost all of those regrets are in relation to the people. So it's no surprise then as Paul is applying the truth of who we are in Christ specifically to our relationships. That our relationship with Christ vertically, if you will, our worship of Him, our love of Him, our trust in Him has massive impact with our relationships with each other. Last week you saw that we have this relational care for each other, particularly when somebody else is caught in sin. That those of you who are in Christ and walking with Him should help bear that burden. So there's a relationship of discipline even that is needed. This week then, we're going to see a vital relationship between me and you. And then a relationship that you have to take careful to keep doing good in for each other and to all. All right, so let's begin with uh, verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things the one who teaches. So here we have a relationship between teacher and taught. Uh, but it's around the word of God. And so what we're seeing here is a pretty tidy understanding of what the church is. The church is around God's word. That is our agreement. That's our unifying Reality, it isn't that we have the same personalities and we like the same teams and we agree on the same kind of dress and we're politically aligned. It's that we believe that God's word is God's and that what it says is true and that's our unifying principle, right? That's what matters more than anything else. Everything else is almost as nothing around that. And so... My calling is always first and foremost, or a pastor's calling is the Word. You might remember in Acts chapter 6 when the local church first started in Jerusalem that there was a conflict between uh, those who were needing provision as far as widows. And the pastors were trying to do it all. They were trying to do all the teaching, all the praying, all the spiritual care and take care of the physical needs of the church, and they couldn't do it all. So they created the office of deacon, and they said specifically so that we might not neglect the ministry of prayer and the Word of God. So that's what we do. Why? Because that's our food. That's the thing that God has given us in order to be spiritually nourished. And so, you have to come every Sunday morning with the desire to be fed. Do you know that? If you want to use, since we're going to get agricultural analogy, you're the cattle coming to the trough, waiting for the farmer to dump in the good stuff, right? That's your need. And so you need me to bring you the word. That's how God set it up. And of course, 
although I'd probably preach if there was nobody here. It's a lot more enjoyable when people are here. In fact, at the wedding yesterday, before uh, everybody showed up, there's just a few of us here getting ready for it. Mark, Pastor Mark and Amber and Lisa and I, I think we're the only ones here, and it reminded me of COVID. When we would sit up here with nobody out there, and it was miserable. And so it's a real good thing that you guys are here. But what we're here is, is for the Word. Now that means your conscience should be bound to the Word. Not to my whims, not to my personalities. And so this verse is meant to protect you as well. That you know a failing of those in authority is to abuse their authority and get you just to give yourself to the personality and the whims of the person in leadership. That's not so in the church. It's just around God's Word. And so the, the Word are the green pastures that the Good Shepherd desires His under-shepherds to bring you to. And you need it. And now you are described as the one who is taught. The one who is taught. That's a humble position that you are placed in. This word taught is the word that we get catechized from. It's a uh, life given to being catechized, to being uh, aligned with a body of truth. And here it's the truth in Scripture. Now this doesn't mean that the Christian faith is merely mental. It must be lived. But you are to be instructed through the Word in the truths, the doctrine in Scripture, and how it applies to your life. We need both. So husbands, you're exhorted to be this for your wife. You're to be a lifelong learner in First Peter 3, coming to an ever-growing understanding of the mystery that is your wife. And so likewise, that's the same way that you should come here. That you know that there is more to know about God. There is more joy to be found in the knowledge of who He is. Or there's things that you have once learned and forgotten. Or there's things that you just have grown numb to or cold to that you want to come and be awakened to again. And then there are things in your lives that you know are not what they should be. And you expect or should expect every Sunday for God's Word to be like a sword that cuts you there. To be like a hammer that smashes you there. So that, that that's the position you're in. So you have the ones who are taught the Word and the one who teaches. Again, this is the work of a pastor. This is the one whom God has appointed to bring you His Word. Now that happens here on Sunday morning. It can happen in classroom sort of things. It often happens one-to-one in uh, counseling. It can happen in conversation. It can happen in rebukes. Pastors are told to practice these things, to immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So just as you are to be a disciple who is ever growing in the faith, so pastors are. I don't know if you know this, but pastors aren't those who know it all, even if we often pretend that we do. We have to make progress in it. And continues in 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself 
so that all, or, uh, persist in this, so that by doing so, listen to this, by doing so, that is by keeping a close watch, by persisting it, by making progress, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so this text does remind us, I was thinking about this before we came up, that what we're dealing with here are realities as far as where your soul will reside forever, where you will live forever after this. Verses 7 and 8 are very sobering. So you have this relationship, the one who is taught and the one who teaches the word, and it puts an obligation on you saying, you must share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, of course, this is talking about you providing for me financially. And I was thinking this week that this isn't going to be that fun. And I was reading in our Bible reading program, I believe Tuesday morning, out of Acts. We're in Joshua and in Acts right now. And in the, the book of Acts, of course, those who preach God's word uh, in Acts often suffered for the preaching of it. And they, after they were persecuted by whomever in whatever fashion, they often rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. And I was rebuked. that I, I was a bit ashamed to have to preach this to you. But this is God's word, isn't it? Are we ashamed of even this? We shouldn't be. I shouldn't have been. So there are financial implications to our relationship. The reality that's going on here is that for the sake of the continuance of the truth of God's word, specifically of justification by faith here in Galatians, God raises up pastors, shepherds, who give themselves in their time to shepherding the flock, and he is going to give an account to God for that, for you. I will give an account to you for not only my preaching, but my actual care for you. You'll give an account to how you receive God's word and this care. And here, you'll give an account to how you share all good things financially. So this is about tithing, if you want to put it that way. And I I know some of you would say, well, tithing's old covenant and we're a new covenant, we don't do that. I'm just using that word to describe what we often call this practice of giving at your church. Whatever you think of that word. So God provides a method here of providing you His word through the financial support of those called to be your pastors. And some do this and do this faithfully and you're obedient to this. That's good. Praise God, right? That's a good thing. And yet, Paul has to bring this up because sometimes, for various reasons, people don't do that. I think what's going on here is, in Galatians, you'll remember that there were faithful pastors in the churches who had been appointed by the apostles who were preaching God's word truly and shepherd the church rightly. And then you had those who would come in and were like the super apostles. These selfish liars who would twist God's word just a little bit 
cause God's people to have way more care for them than their faithful pastors. And what would happen here, I think, is the faithful pastors were going without, while these super apostles were being super well-funded. And so Paul here is writing, and let the one who's taught, who's faithful to God's word, provide for him. Now, so why why don't some of you do this? One of the things the finance team tells us as elders is that we have many who give faithfully, but particularly in the younger ages, 20s, 30s, that segment isn't as faithful or regular in their giving. Now, it could be any age, but that's a reality here. Why, why is that? Well, it might just be habit. You're not in the habit. And you need to have the faith to give regularly. You maybe think you have financial constraints. Finances are tight. And how could I do that when I don't have enough here? Well, the only way to think about that is trusting in God. You'll remember, hopefully, in Mark chapter 12, this instance where a very poor widow, Jesus was observing the offering box. (laughs) He had situated himself, positioned to observe what people put in there. (laughs) He's a good shepherd. And he's watching all of the big people the people who are something put in big amounts. And those were the kind of people who made sure that everyone knew that they were putting in big amounts. They did it to be seen. And then a poor widow, kind of after all the, you know, the, the big people were done, came and put in two small copper coins, which amounts, it says, to about a cent. And calling the disciples to him, he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of poverty, put in all she owned. Why? Why did she do that? Well, yeah, because she trusted God. Notice that right after it, you are told to share with the one who teaches you all good things that it goes to God in verses 7 and 8. God won't be mocked. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. The one who sows your flesh will reap corruption. The one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Like There is a view of God that frees you from this fear of financial constraints or this whatever. Like Faith is about trusting God. Is He trustworthy or not to be faithful to what His Word plainly says. That's the issue of being a Christian. That's the fundamental reality of being a Christian. Do I trust God to do by faith, trusting Him, what He says to do? And the thing to know about yourself is that you are so creative. The one thing that you're skilled above all other things is to give yourselves excuses that make sense to you why you are exempt from that. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I trust God, but you don't this and that and this. No, 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 no. It's just what we call unbelief. You don't trust God. 
This is why he goes right to God seeing and God rewarding and God disciplining. So do you trust God? Verse 6 is readily understandable, right? It's not a mystery of verse 6 is saying. There's no theological debate to be had here. It's clear. How many of you go to work expecting to be paid for the work you do? How many of you go to a restaurant and tip your server? Right? You don't tip another server at another restaurant. You tip the server at your restaurant. What is common in the world is to be common in here. It's very clear. And so why don't we? Because we don't trust God. We don't fear Him. We don't believe that He can provide our needs. Maybe you didn't understand the clear biblical teaching and you think that you don't have to give regularly or something or that giving somewhere else is sufficient. What would your kids think if you said, you know, kids, there's a lot of hungry people in this world and I'm going to give there. So this is about our relationship of love, isn't it? Now, the thing that I have to struggle with is why do I want to teach this to you? (laughs) Well, I have been really trying to keep Philippians 4 in mind where Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That the reality is that even though it is a supply for my family and us as pastors and our families, that it is more about God's reward of you, particularly in his heaven. That that's what this is about. That's the promise that follows right after this. So some practicals on this. Where should you start if you're not doing it? Well, you start with repentance. Because if you haven't been doing it, it's a matter of sin. And so you would come to God and simply own it, just like you would expect someone who had sinned against you to do. And you know God is incredibly gracious and forgives. So you would start there. Second, you would start with God. In Malachi 3, God says to test Him in giving that He will supply you. And so you ask God for an increase in faith to trust Him in order to give. Third, then, it is a practice. It's a discipline. It's something that you have to do. You'll likely need a budget. You make giving to your local church your first practice, not your last if there's some left over. And so if you need help with budgeting, there are people that know you here and that love you that could be a real help to you. And so you probably know who they are, people who do this regularly. Ask them for help. Ask them for help in getting a budget. But you'll have to restrain yourself in some ways. Now, if you're newer here and you're like, oh, geez, here's a church talking about money right away. Well, tough. I don't know. It's the next thing in the text. Right? And we do not want to be Christians who are ashamed of God's word. It's right there plain as day, isn't it? And so this doesn't mean that if you're new here, you have to start giving right away or anything. But um, you should be glad, I would think, to have God make life this practical. That your life of faith isn't just This mysterious thing that you'll never really know if you're doing it well, but 
he makes it following him very, very tangible, doable by faith. And so um, it does take finances to do what we do here. And God has given you to us in order to do that. All right, so that's the relationship here as we apply our freedom in Christ between you and I, between Pastors Jeff and Mark and myself and you. This doesn't mean we're doing it perfectly, but hopefully we're faithful. And so you have then the privilege of sharing all good things with all, with all of us. So the reward is God uh, rewards. God is your rewarder. But if you sow just to the flesh, don't be, God won't be mocked. God, you can't deceive God. He'll reap what you sow. Immediately after that then, we're exhorted as a church to not grow weary of doing good, but you'll reap in due season if you don't give up. So then, as you have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do good to all, but especially, and especially those of the household of faith. So you have this relationship between pastor and congregation around God's Word, and then, in light of eternity, this endurance in doing good to all, but particularly those who are part of the household of faith. So again, this is in light of eternity. Uh, This is a constant focus in the Bible, isn't it? That we live now in light of what comes after death. So first of all, you must be convinced that there is life after death. Do you believe that? Right? I think it's evident. That there is in all of us this uh, understanding of eternity. God has set eternity in the hearts of all mankind. And that there is a God who rewards. In Hebrews chapter 11, it defines faith as believing that God is a rewarder. So look at that again in verse 9. Don't grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. Okay, one of the things that gets straight is the ultimate judgment of whether or not you're part of God's household if you're in Christ is done. And God judged His Son for your sin. He was condemned and cursed with the condemnation and curse that you and I deserve for our sins. So kids, you get this? Kids, every time you go home, do you have to doubt whether or not your mom and dad want you there? You have to live in constant fear over whether or not it's acceptable for you to be there present with them. Do you have to live like that? You don't have to. Why? Why don't you have to? Anybody know? Yeah. Because they love you. And it isn't based on your perfection or goodness or performance in the last week. They're not looking to replace you. They're not checking out the transfer portal and seeing if there's a better 
son out there. You're their son. You're their daughter. You never have to fear that being removed. It's likewise, in God's family, we are brought into His family based on Christ's work in His life and in His death and in His resurrection. And does Jesus, the Son of God, ever have to fear being transferred out of God's favor? No. And neither do you. Why? Because you're in Him by faith. That's the freedom we have to approach God. So that ultimate judgment has been taken care of if you have faith in Christ. That doesn't mean, though, that there won't be judgment of your works, an evaluation of what you've done with this new life God has given you. And that there are great rewards for just living a normal, faithful Christian life and there will be less so and even discipline if we do not. Now the the problem he's putting his finger on here is perseverance in that good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Why? Well, ministry isn't one of those things where the harvest comes quickly. Like some of you buy those meat chickens that grow so rapidly it's almost freaky. That's not the kind of work that you do with people. Some of you buy those pigs that grow fat really quick and if you don't kill them, they get way too fat. That's that's not what we're doing here. This is like planting a bare root apple tree. It takes seven to ten years before it's productive and fruitful. And, and attentive you have to be for those years. You have to keep the pests away. You have to water and fertilize. You have to trim it. You have to put in the investment. And if you grow weary of that, it won't be as fruitful as it could be. So the same thing is with people. You guys know this as the way God has set up human beings. How long is it before your children start being productive and helpful and fruitful? It's a long stinking time. I mean, they're pretty much useless for more than a decade. Totally true. And it's really wonderful. We we crossed this threshold a few years ago. All of our kids can take care of themselves now pretty much. It's really cool. And so the same thing is with working with people. It takes time. It takes a lot of patience and care and tending and attention. And it, it's, it, the progress isn't steady. It's fits and starts. It's back and forth. It's discouragements. It's betrayals. It's sin. It's, it's you. It's who you are. And so you have to keep going. And then we want immediate gratification, don't we? Isn't that our world today? Did you guys see the new store that took over the movie store next to Pizza Across from Kids Corner? What's the name of it? Get it now. Right. You know, pay three times as much, but you can have it now. 
That's us. We want immediate gratification for the investment. But people work is not like that. In fact, often you will not see the payoff in this age. You just won't. I had a professor, a a guy in seminary. He actually wasn't one of the professors. He was in administration overseeing kind of the spiritual development. He was like our pastor. And uh, he often told the story of his first pastorate that went very poorly. And he identified that one of the reasons it went very poorly is he never said no to anybody. He was a people pleaser. And, you know, he people would come with ideas and he didn't want to do the ideas, but he wouldn't tell them no. He would just not do them. And it kind of fell apart after a number of years and he went to another church. It was pretty painful. And he came back, let's say 25 years later or something, and they had... It was the 50th anniversary of the church or whatever. And he was there, and some apple trees that they had planted at his were now big and tall and fruitful. And the church had become that. And he left that church discouraged and frustrated and thinking his years there were a waste. And now 25 years later, he had seen that God bore fruit. And that's the view we need to take in doing good to people. So do good to all, real quick. Outside the church, I think this means. Evangelism. This is going to be different because all of you are going to engage in this to some different level. But we should have a concern for those who are without Christ. At least be praying. You can invite them. It's the holiday season coming up. People are often very open. I, I, t- I told you this a few weeks ago, the study done, I mean, you know, that less and less people are going to church, and they surveyed those who weren't going to church, and they asked how many of them would come if they were invited, and 8% of people responded they would come if they were just invited. So you could do that. You can practice hospitality. You can use your resources, your body to serve others. So do good to all. You might do good in the community, coach, uh, become a part of some service organization. You can just be a good citizen. So do good to all. Now, one of the things I was thinking of in this is in the Bible, it's consistently a focus when we, we talk about something like this on those who are the most vulnerable. So widows, orphans, foreigners, and so on. And I just be careful because most of us are politically conservative here. Be careful when you're thinking about immigrants, um, especially immigrants, that you don't take the Republican line for that and struggle to just despise people who are coming to our country just because they're different. We have to be careful there. Of course, we need to fix our borders and we need to be able to shut the door and so on and so forth. But we do have to be careful there. And of course, we should have a real focus on the unborn. We continue to destroy human life, particularly now with chemicals, not only uh, through surgical abortions, but chemical abortions. And so Christians should be very different there. We should love children. We love that your children are in the service. We love that 
it's hard sometimes. It's a good thing to have your kids here, and it's good. It's okay if they make a little noise. It's okay if they make a lot of noise. Kids are way too quiet here. Our older people aren't too quiet. Just the kids. Okay, so you're supposed to do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. I find how he says that incredibly um, attractive, sweet, emotionally moving, especially to the household of faith. You are part of a, a family. I, I am really sick of commercials or businesses or sports teams saying we're a family. Yeah, baloney. They are not a family. They're lying to you to get you to stay and pay. They don't care about you like a family at all. Well, that's not always true. Some businesses do, but not usually. I say that because you have two families. You have your biological family, which may or may not be healthy and functioning, and you have your church family. And this family is one of faith in Christ. And we are a household. We are a unit bound together in love of Christ and in love for each other. And we are to take a special care to do good to each other. I think what he's getting at here is we often presume on the relationships that are most close. Right? Wives, you treat your husband like you would never treat another human being on this earth. Negatively. You say things to him that you would never say to anybody else anywhere. Don't you? And husbands, it would be very helpful to your wife if you told her that she shouldn't talk to you like that. She, she needs to know that. Maybe start right now. I'll, I'll pause. I'll wait. Go ahead. Honey, you know, like uh, the pastor said that maybe I should, you know, it's not you probably. I mean, but it'd be helpful, you know. You know what I mean, honey? Don't have to say it, honey. You know, you know. Don't do it like that. Just, just tell her. Just saying, right? Just saying. <laughs> now, of course, husband, same thing. What I mean, though, is we presume on those relationships closest to us, and we shouldn't do that in our marriages, in our with our children, and especially in the household of God. We shouldn't presume that somebody else will do the good that we have opportunity to do. We shouldn't presume that this household of faith will be as solid as it is right now. We shouldn't presume on it. Another way to say it is you'll get out of this what you put into it. If you have the faith in Christ to invest in the household, suddenly you'll like, wow, what a great church we have. I find that the people who criticize the most are the people who do the least. Because their just heart isn't in it. And they're often transferring their guilt over not really contributing to everybody else. So take a special care to do good to the household of faith. Now, there'll be different seasons for this. If you've got a bunch of little kids running around, it's going to be different than somebody who's empty nester or a single. This is going to be different. In fact, your work in the household of faith will be mostly with your kids. Wives, you should be particularly careful that you do serve your husband and keep your household and not neglect that for a bunch of volunteerism. Young men, especially, 
Some of you do really good work around here. But there is a lot of work we could use of you. We need some of you 20, 30-year-old men to be deacons here. To put your hat in the ring for that. But we just can't presume that this healthy church that we have now will be like this a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. We have to have the faith to keep working at it. And so do you. How do you do that? Well, let me encourage some very practical ways. One, get here early and stay late after the service. A lot of the good relational stuff happens then. I know that there are some of you who just come at the last second and leave right away, and you know, you'll walk by me out there and probably will struggle to make eye contact. I just want to encourage you to stick around. I know sometimes you gotta leave, but make it a habit to be here longer. Just hang out. And those of you who make a practice of hanging out, talk to them. Get to know them. It's one thing you can do. Uh, second, your conversation. Talk about what you read in the Bible. Talk about what you think God is doing in your life. Ask others what they've been reading or what God's been doing in their life or what challenges they have. Talk about the things of God. I've been thinking about this myself. Most of my conversation is not about those things. I know we'll talk about everyday things, but what about the things of God? Wouldn't that be an encouragement to talk about those things more? And then use your body. Use your physical body to be helpful to other people. Spend energy. Spend time serving other people in this church. I I find you grow in real hard affection when you do something good for other people. And so use the body God has given you, the resources God has given you towards that end. It might be with the holidays coming up that you know somebody can't be with family, so you invite them over. Whatever that is. But at the end, know that God rewards. We will reap in due season if we do not give up. So have this view of God. God is not stingy like we are. How do we know that? How do we know that God is not stingy? He sent His Son. Right. Right. Let's pray. Father, give us grace and faith to receive your word. Help us to do so looking to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who rewards our diligence. And yet help us to know, God, that this isn't a matter of our acceptance with you, that we can be free in our minds to come before you because of Christ. And yet out of that, help us to love each other. Help me to love your people. Help them to love us as pastors. And uh, especially that we would do good to all, but especially to the household of God. And so God, please work this in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.